Hello and welcome back to Why Morocco, a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to spotlighting some of the inspiring creative personalities who share my love of the North African Kingdom of Morocco. My name's Mandy Sinclair, known online as Mandy in Morocco, and I'm the host of the podcast. As you sit back and listen, it's my hope that you'll leave feeling inspired to pay a visit or motivated to start planning that trip to the Kingdom of Morocco. On this week's episode, my friend and fellow Art Deco architecture lover, David Packer, stopped by in between the opening of his show at Anima Gardens and sending his book off to print. David came to Morocco in 2011 on a Fulbright scholarship to study regional ceramics. Being a ceramicist himself, David has since documented his findings in a 10-chapter book called The Earth Has Three Colors, a celebration of Moroccan ceramics, and he's planning to release the book this year. David and I met last year at an art gallery opening in Gilles. We quickly discovered our shared love of the modern and contemporary art and design scene that's just so inspiring here in Marrakesh at the moment. In fact, our meetups often include wandering through Gilles, exploring the old Art Deco gems, sipping coffees in hotels that have seen better days, and chatting about local hangouts. But this time, let's listen in as David and I chat about Moroccan ceramics. Well, thank you for taking time to meet with me because I know you've got a really busy schedule, especially as after you've just opened your new exhibition at Design and Matter yes. at Anima Gardens. That was a good show. I really liked the way that you you styled it and the way you set up the your ceramic pieces. Thank you. It was um, actually a hard show to install because the space is an odd shape and it has really high ceilings which is why I actually put the drawings up so high to kind of activate the space. But I'm happy with what, what I have. Mm-hmm. So just, just for listeners, you, are, you have a fascination with ceramics, but you are also an artist working in ceramics. Is that correct? That is, yeah. And so where did your interest come from? I, I was born in England and I have an undergraduate degree in ceramics from an art school in England, Bristol School of Art. So I've been a practicing artist with a background in ceramics for over 30 years. So I've just, I've always been somebody that's been involved in clay and made a lot of stuff out of clay. And so when I came to Morocco, it was amazing to find a country that's also so involved in clay. Mm -hmm. Because in 2011 to 2012, you had a Fulbright scholarship to study ceramics. And so... For anyone who's visited Morocco, we know that there's pottery from Safi, from Fez, but you've also been to other areas um, while doing your research. And so can you tell me a bit about the regional ceramic styles in Morocco? I mean, the thing about it is, is that Fez is kind of where you start because Fez is the place that makes the ceramics that everybody knows, which would be the traditional glazed work that ended at the end of the 19th century and also the zalige, the cut tile work. But the other main centers, as far as I'm concerned, would be Safi, which is a 20th century phenomena, Marrakesh, which I feel like is the really the cutting edge and the center of what is happening and going to happen. And historically, there was a lot of work coming out of the Rif. So that that's... Um, that's that's disappearing now, but um, that was that's an important part of um, of it. And why is the pottery from that region disappearing? 
pottery from that region is disappearing because it was objects that people would make for domestic use. And interesting enough, it was all made by women. So basically, women in a village would make ceramics and then they would sell it or give it to their neighbors so that they could cook and use these vessels. And so as modernity has arrived, symbolized by, essentially symbolized by plastic, there's no need for this stuff anymore. And also the other thing that's happening is that people are leaving these little villages and moving to towns where there's running water and electricity. So it's about modernization. And this particular work was a product of, uh, it was a product of a traditional agricultural lifestyle that's really disappearing fast in Morocco. So just for those of us who may not be familiar with the style, like what what were the vessels, what were they used for in their everyday life? Um, and what, did they have a special glaze? Are they a special color? The work from the riff made by women is all red clay, so it's, which is basically dug extremely locally, you know, within walking distance of where they live. It's unglazed and it used to have um, markings, um, some, very similar to the, some of the markings you might see on rugs in the, in the souks. And these are all Berber symbols of some kind or another. In terms of function, it would be food storage, milk, mm-hmm. oil, water, uh, maybe preserved meat, that sort of thing. Yeah. It was all this. All this was initiated in a period before refrigeration, mm-hmm. so that it, it was. So the food storage was. These were just where you put the food. And so you talked about the Berber motifs. From what I understand on the carpets is that they often have a, they mean something. So with the motifs on the, the pottery, would it be a reference to something or was it more decorative? I think it's more decorative. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know what you're saying about the rugs and it's been explained to me, but I think with the pottery, it was more decorative. What's really interesting about the pottery is that there are somewhere around 70 different tribes in the Rif and each tribe would make work of a distinctive style within the same genre. So somebody that knows about this stuff can look at a piece and say, oh, that's Giata or that's Sul or whatever. And so this really goes back to a time when people were, consider themselves part of a tribe and not necessarily part of a region or in a certain town. So as far as I'm concerned, and what makes it fascinating is that and you certainly go right back to a period before the Arabs came to Morocco. Wow. So that's how old this style is. Yes. I mean, I mean, the thing about it is, is that it's because it's made with, uh, you know, for a function, it's never been preserved. It's never, you know, if they would use it, it would break, then make more. So there was never any, and it was never considered art. There was never any attempt at preserving it or cataloging it or, anything like that. It was only in the 80s that anthropologists started to discover this work and start cataloging it. And there's two very famous Germans that actually went around and cataloged like every village in Morocco and what they were making. And this was probably the first time that anybody paid attention to this sort of thing in, a, in an academic manner in a, in, in, as an attempt to preserve it. 
That's fascinating. What other regions have similar traditions like that? That's a good question. I mean, first off, I mean, one of the things why the riff, the work has stayed in the riff is because it's actually very isolated, even though it's seemingly close to some population centers like Tangier and Fez and Al-Hasima, the mountains themselves make it very isolated. So the riff has retained these traditional practices because of the isolation. The other thing to note is that this, the riff actually goes into Algeria. So there are elements of the same work. And I forgot to say, this is all of course made by Berbers in the mountains of the riff in Algeria. Um, in terms of other regions, it's the thing that's attracted people's attention to the work I'm talking about now, the riff, is the fact that it was made by women. Mm-hmm. All over Morocco, you have people making ceramics. I mean, around here, around here, we're in Marrakesh, around here, you can drive around and you can see along the roads people that are making large vessels that are probably now sold for people's gardens and so on. And this would all be made by men, and this would have all been wheel thrown, mm-hmm. whereas the work from the riff is actually um, hand built. Mm-hmm. So I think with in Morocco, there's there is an awful lot of local clay activity because this is just what people have done. Clearly, there's a lot of clay available, and people have always made stuff out of clay. Mm-hmm. I saw a video at Dar Balage, um, and it was basically documenting the women making a vessel. And I found it really interesting because in most, as you note, like just referenced, most pottery is made by men. Is this the only style that's typically made by women? Um, I think it's more, I think it's more a question of um, the regional, regionality of it in that in the riff, the way the division of labor was in the villages, it was the women that ended up making the work. And the reason why it is so interesting now is what I alluded to is that because the tribal structures have remained intact because of the isolation of these particular mountains. Uh, You know, for instance, the middle Atlas is much more accessible. And so it never really, you know, it probably phased out a a lot earlier. I will say to you know at the you know to to conclude, most of this is disappearing, if not has disappeared, mm-hmm. as modernity has really come in. But I was in the Sahara in January, and there's some quite secluded villages there. Are there any um, pottery styles that are typical to the Sahara Desert? Well, the one place I talk about in my book is Tamgrut, which mm-hmm. is the uh, f- uh, pretty well known green glaze ceramics that you can get a lot of here in Marrakesh. But uh, that is that has been a pottery center since about the 16th century. And they, it was established in conjunction with the library and um, mosque that's very famous as part of the uh, trade routes across the Sahara. So, I mean, for me, Tamgrud is very important as a as a place, as a ceramics place. It is absolutely fascinating. I went there, um, I was traveling in the South with my sister and we stopped by and there, the production hasn't been modernized at all. Oh no, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I said, I mean, they, they've been, they've been working in a similar way probably since the 16th century. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I think one of the things about, and I talk about this in my book, is that people seem to make ceramics in Morocco whether they sell it or not. And I think the other thing that you pr- is probably true is that if you go to a shop in Tamgrut, you know, the man, the, the proprietor probably got the shop from his father mm-hmm. and half the stock has probably been there from the time of his father. And so you don't really know how long it's been there. I mean, they make a lot of stuff, but a lot of it seems to just sit around and create these great stores that are just like chock full of stuff, ceramics. Yeah. So let's talk about your book. Um, It's going, you're coming out hopefully this year and it's going to be called The Earth Has Three Colors, A Celebration of Moroccan Ceramics. Yes, the three colors. The three colors relate to the... um, the three colors that are you have been used in Morocco, the red clay that we were just talking mm-hmm. about, and then gray would be the color of the work from Fez, and then white represents the imported industrial processes that began with the French and are now used quite commonly in Morocco. Hmm. What I have done is I've div- divided the book into 10 chapters and it's 10 distinct facets of Moroccan ceramics, and it spans... The pre prehistory, which we're just talking about with the red clay from Rif, and it goes through the classical period of Fez, the introduction of the modern period, right up to what I consider now the cutting edge of design work in Marrakesh. Can you tell us more about the classic period in Fez? What happened was in a, in the 1450s. I mean, this is very well known. The Moors were kicked out of uh, Spain. A lot of the people that had been living there were potters, and they were they were working in using techniques that had originally come from Persia. So they moved into Morocco, and a lot of them ended up in Fez. And at that time, Fez was the capital of Morocco, the spiritual capital. It was a wealthy place, and so the potters had an audience, and they had a culture that was interested in the work they were doing. And a lot of the work is based, based on deep Muslim concepts. And so it was kind of like a marriage made in heaven because uh, like as in a place like New York today, artists can really thrive if there's people that are going to spend money on their product. And to my mind, uh, 17th, 18th, 19th centuries, they were producing exemplary pieces of glazed ceramics Typically the blue and white, but there were other pieces also used. So for me, this is this was like the golden age of Fez of, of Moroccan ceramics, centered on Fez. And what's interesting, and, and I talk about this in the book, is that Fez was the center, and Fez created a lot of different. There were a lot of different outshoots that um, left Fez. For instance, in Tamgrud the potters were from Fez. Also in Safi, the people that started all that moved from Fez. So even though Fez may not be as important as it once was, its influences mm-hmm. are deep and broad in Morocco. Mm-hmm. And then what styles did the French bring with them and how did they modernize the pottery? I always, um, I always preface this part of it by saying that this would have happened 
with or without the French, because mm-hmm. this is just the force, the forces of modernity, the forces mm-hmm. of the 20th century. Basically, they brought in an industrial process where instead of pieces being thrown on a wheel with lumps of clay, plus the molds are filled with a liquid clay that can then produce multiple pieces. So one mold can produce 100 pieces. And so the the industrial book came in. Initially, it started with the French making pieces in France that had Islamic images on it. So a a lot of pieces were green, which is the color of paradise in Islam. A lot of the pieces had stars and crescent moons. So basically, the French were marketing to the Moroccans by offering them work that would appeal to them because it had um, Islamic Arab imagery on it. And then once this started coming in, then the techniques were brought in too. And now in Morocco, we have some places where they're making work with molds and some places where they're still working in a much more traditional manner. And a lot of the times it's a complete mix of the two. And it really, you only really, it's only if you know what you're looking at, can you tell the difference? Mm-hmm. But one of the things that is, int- one of the things I realized when I was writing the book is that in a way, what I'm talking about is the 20th century, because I talk about what happened in Morocco before the 20th century, how the 20th century changed Morocco and where we are now as in a post-industrial place. Mm-hmm. I know you, you've talked about, but we've also talked previously about has a more contemporary approach, I guess I would say. And so would you agree that, or with this, and if so, like who are the main players? Are there other areas that you think could be coming up as a contemporary hotspot as well? As far as I can tell, um, and, you know, there's always going to be someone who's going to come up and um, disagree with this. M- my personal feeling is, and what I've established in the book, is that Marrakesh is very central for contemporary design in Morocco. And I think one of the things that people like is that um, Marrakesh is a long way from the centers of power in Morocco. Not that it's not important, but it's a long way from Rabat. It's a long way from Casa. It's a long way from Fez. So it, I feel like there's a little bit more of a freedom that exists in this city. And people are coming in and people are doing different things. I think also um, Marrakesh has a history, mainly with the French, of foreigners being here for a long time. I mean, the French probably started coming here and building these beautiful villas in the 20s and 30s. So you have Europeans that are coming in, starting to do interesting things in terms of design. Um, There's two or three people that I'm really interested in. Uh, One is Laurence, who has a small studio Mm -hmm. in City Ghanem and soon to be moving to the Medina. Oh, wow. Yeah. Breaking news. There's another young woman called Bushra Budoya. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I... Please forgive my accent. Who was trained in London, is from Casablanca, and has now set up a studio um, just south of Marrakesh and producing very, producing really beautiful graphic work with that 
actually, interestingly enough, relates to the riff work, relates to the Berber work, and so it's actually a beautiful circle from that point of view. Um, there's a woman called Naomi Lanour, who's part of the Sum Slow Concept mm -hmm. project in the, in the um, new city, Galice, who, again, the, the thesis is that people with design training are coming in with new ideas and harnessing the existing technology, the existing artisans to make really cool contemporary work. And I'm looking forward to more of that, but I think that this is a powerful idea that I hope is gonna grow. And I, I, I've noticed, I mean, I really don't know anything about anything beyond ceramics, but I noticed that there's definitely a lot of great design in other areas that would fit this thesis. Yeah, I agree. Once the book is finally published, hopefully in three months, yes. where can listeners pick up a copy? Okay, um, it's being published in um, it's being published in California. So this is a United States based project, but it will be on Amazon or directly through the uh, publisher, which is Master Publishing. Cool. So, yeah, I just have one last question. What's your favorite ceramic style from Morocco? You know, I think it's I think it's wrong to sort of like nail it down to one thing. I mean, I've enjoyed the honesty and directness of the work from Tam Groot because it's very, you know, the the roughness is, you know, very very appealing, and I think it has a very very pleasant um, wholeness to it. That you know, you see a piece from Tam Groot and you know it's from Tam Groot. Mm -hmm. There's not, you know, because I mean, a lot of the work from Safi looks like it might be from Fez and so on and so forth. So it'll, there's, there's a clarity to the work out of, um, out of Tamrud. But the other thing that, you know, as I just said, what I'm really interested in is, is what the young designers, whether they're European or Moroccan, are doing here. Because I want to see Moroccan ceramics grow and develop even more in the next few years if that's possible and i think that this is this is this is this is asking a lot in a way but i wrote a book about ceramics but i'm also really interested in trying to be a little bit of a catalyst in some of this in terms of like bringing my knowledge about it to help some of these younger artists develop and grow within this context of a great artisanal tradition, but then using their own um, their own education and knowledge mm. to do that. Actually, I just want to go back to talking about the modern um, ceramics because I really enjoyed your um, installation at the Anima Gardens, and what I really loved were the um, you've done ceramic, the plastic version of the traditional water jug. Um, so do you consider yourself a modern ceramicist here? Or how has Morocco inspired your work? I saw plastic water bottles being used every day in Morocco. Mm -hmm. And I realized that they, were, they had replaced ceramics. Mm -hmm. So I decided to make ceramic versions of these plastic imposters. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's a comment on how modern materials such as plastic is threatening the traditional work that's the traditional practice, ceramic practices. Because as I said earlier, in the Rif, they were making these vessels not for art, 
but just for practical, functional purposes. They needed somewhere to put their olives, to put their oil, to put their milk. And so for me, it was, it was just, it was a comment on, it was, I love the idea of taking an object that's um, very throwaway, very disposable and giving it, making it more precious, making it into ceramic. And you know, I've always, you know, I've always been interested in industrial processes, the process of modernity, and how we go, how we've gone through the twentieth century into a contemporary, into a contemporary culture. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Oh, my for pleasure. Thank back. you. Thank yeah, you. It's been good. Thank you. So, if like David and I, you're interested in the contemporary art scene in Marrakesh, and you're going to be in town, join me for one of my tasting Marrakesh food and cultural tours. On our Tasting Marrakesh Gilles tour, we explore some of the 20th century architecture in Marrakesh, stop at some of our favorite art galleries housed in Art Deco gems, and wander through parks and religious buildings that surprise visitors who dare to venture beyond the Marrakesh Medina. We chat history, eat street food, and shop. You know, some of my favorite things. But don't just take it from me. Condé Nast recently added this tour to its roundup of 10 cool things to do in Marrakesh. Our website is tasting-marrakesh.com for more details. That's Marrakesh with a C-H. And all of our tours are private and bespoke, so we take you only to the places that interest you. But for now, it's time to say see you in two weeks. In the meantime, if you want to discuss a collaboration or partnership, please feel free to get in touch via my website, mandyinmorocco.com. And if you're a fan of Wine Morocco, I would be so grateful if you would rate and review this podcast on your favorite channel or spread the love by sharing on your social media networks. See you soon.